Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome again to God's Word for God's World. Well, how are you today? I hope you're having a terrific day today, as I am. And uh, today we've reached the halfway point in our six-part series from the Gospel of John in the New Testament. Hope you're enjoying it so far. And as always, we hope and pray that as God speaks to you through his word this morning, that he will equip you and be encouraging you to live the life that he wants you to be living. So let's have a listen now to God's word. Today's reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked him this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And now here's Stephen Taylor to teach us from God's Word. You never know when you're going to learn your next lesson about God. And you never know when God will next test you on whether you've learned that lesson or not. I remember reading of a Presbyterian minister, Mike Turner, who was completing his sabbatical leave with a solo hike for a week in the wilderness in the US state of Wyoming. He just spent weeks, months, reading, praying, studying, refreshing himself, preparing himself to take again on the responsibilities of his ministry. And to conclude his time, his plan was to wander in wonder for about 90 kilometres as he drew close to his creator God. But on day four, as he was slowly and cautiously picking his way through a sea of boulders, Mike's feet slipped on an unsteady rock. He leaped onto another rock, hoping to balance himself, but Mike had set an avalanche in motion, and when the dust cleared and the noise subsided, Mike found himself pinned between two boulders right above his knees. He wrote in his journal, About two hours ago, a large rock rolled upon me and trapped my legs. I was very careful, be sure of that, but I hurt. But I'm in your hands, Lord. I don't know what I face. We don't know when we're going to learn our nest lesson about God, do we? Because lessons can be learned as we quietly open God's word, but they can also be learned as we face unexpected circumstances in life. 
And often straight after a lesson, God sends us an examination to see if we put these lessons into practice. Now, Jesus and his disciples had had a particularly busy time of late. For wherever they went, crowds seemed to flock, people made demands, the sick were brought to be healed, and now they were close to exhaustion. So they withdrew across Lake Galilee. But the crowds ran alongside of the lake, for they wanted another sign. And so instead of having some much-needed rest and recreation, Jesus and his disciples had some 5,000 men, some 15,000 people to minister to. So Jesus decided it was time for a lesson. But this time he wouldn't teach them with a sermon or a parable or a healing. He would teach them by providing them with a meal. And this would be a sign to teach them more fully about God. Now he knew they were hungry. Some had not eaten for four days. He knew that there was a lot of them. He knew they didn't have enough food on them. So when he sees the crowd coming, he says to Philip, where are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? And Philip's may be thinking, well, who says we've got to? Now, Philip can only think about the money, which, to be honest, most of us would have been on the exact same wavelength. But in the meantime, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brothers had a quick look at all the food they have and found just one boy with five small barley cakes and two small fish. So all they have is one youngster's lunch, not nearly enough for the disciples, let alone for this huge crowd. But remember, Jesus wanted to teach the people a lesson as well as giving them a sign. So he gets them to sit down. And then in front of them all, he holds before them this one boy's lunch and he thanks God for his great provision. And then he gets the disciples to hand out the food. And the food doesn't just stretch, it multiplies until every single person has not just a snack, but a feast. The Bible says they all had enough to eat and then they collected the scraps and took in 12 basketfuls of bread and fish. The lesson that Jesus wants to teach in this action is that God is able to supply all our needs. In one incredibly visible sign, Jesus reminds the hungry people that God is the source of all good and needful gifts. But even more than that, he doesn't just meet our needs, he lavishes upon his people even more than what they need. For there are 12 basketfuls left over. There's enough for all the 12 tribes to have leftovers. Enough for the 12 disciples to have something for later. You see, God isn't stingy. God doesn't give you the bare minimum. But because he owns the cattle of a thousand hills, as the psalmist says, he can more than adequately meet our needs. That's a lesson for the disciples to learn and a lesson for us to learn as well. George Mueller, a Christian man who ran an orphanage in London, one day had no food to give his orphans, no money to buy them food. So what was he going to do? He got them to sit down for breakfast in front of an empty table. He then thanked God for his goodness and for his provision of daily bread. And when they'd all said amen, there was a knock at the door. A local baker was wondering if they could do with some of the bread that he had just baked this morning. Now, we know that lesson. We probably know it in our heads. But do we really know it? We pray in the Lord's Prayer for our daily bread because God has asked us to do that. But God is a God who does look after his children, not always in the way we, we like, but he does promise to provide. So we need to be men and women of thanks. This passage is teaching us that five loaves plus two fish plus Jesus equals an abundant feast. But the truth also is one believer plus Jesus equals an abundant life.
But if the feeding of the 5,000 is the lesson, what comes after it is the examination. Having learnt how great God is, would they again concentrate on their own needs, on their own wants, or instead on God's will? Would they want to continue to set the agenda, or would they allow Jesus to set the agenda? Would they be thankful for what has happened, or be hungry for Jesus to do more? Have they correctly read the sign? Well, the crowds think that this act is obviously pointing back to Moses. This is Passover time, when God raised up a great leader to save his people from their oppressors. It's a sign. This is our new leader. Here is one like Moses. And they immediately try and force Jesus to become their king. They see that Jesus is a winner, and they want to jump on the bandwagon. It's what the crowd wants, but it's not what Jesus wants, because his agenda is not the same as their agenda. In fact, his idea of what makes a worthwhile leader is the exact opposite to theirs. As one preacher has said, Jesus isn't going to march on Jerusalem carrying the spear and bringing judgment, but to receive the spear thrust and bear the judgment. They're just thinking about themselves when they should be thinking about God. They're thinking about their comfort, not God's will. So the crowds have misread the sign. No, no, they've only half read the sign. He is going to have to teach them soon that the purpose of this sign was not just to look back to Moses and him giving them bread, but to look forward to God's offer of the bread of life. But more of that in a moment. Now Jesus needs to stop them making him their earthly king, so he sends them away. He tells the disciples to go back home on the boat and he goes away to a lonely place to pray. And soon after, a huge storm comes across the lake. The disciples, some of whom are professional fishermen, are scared stiff. But they become even more afraid when later on that night Jesus walks on the water past their boat. You might expect to pick up someone out of the water in a storm, but not a hitchhiker. This is now the disciples' examination. Will they trust that God will meet their needs for safety? Do they really know and believe in God's good provision for their lives? Are they willing to follow God even in the midst of the storm? Unfortunately, no, they too will fail the exam. They haven't really learnt the lesson that Jesus has taught them. But what about us? Do we believe that God will provide what we need? And I'm not just talking about food here. Will he make available the support, the friendships, the love that I need? Will he abandon me when I'm in trouble? Will he really forgive all my sins? Can I really trust him when things fall apart? But Jesus hasn't finished with either his disciples or the crowd. He wants to teach them a second lesson, this time through straight teaching. He wants to explain to them all what the feeding of the 5,000 and what the significance of this sign really is. So when the crowds again find him, he talks about bread and about manna and about eating and drinking his flesh and blood. Now what he says is far from easy. Often Jesus spoke incredibly simply in parables, in stories, in miracles, and sometimes he spoke in metaphors, in symbolism, in vivid language. And this time he spoke with difficult words because he wanted those around him to think, to ponder, to chew over the words he was saying. Let me try and chop up what he says into bite-sized chunks. Firstly, he talks about our greatest need. It's not for food, for our body. It's for the food for our soul. And so so he says in verse 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. 
Friends, so often we place our emphasis on our physical needs, on food, on drink, on love, on shelter, on acceptance. We chase the meeting of our own wants, our own needs. We think that life is about being healthy and wealthy and wise, and we forget that God made us with a need that is even more basic than these. You and I have been made by God in his image. We have an inbound capacity, an inbuilt need to have a relationship with God. We have a need that can only be filled by God, and if we try and fill it with anything else, it will fail to satisfy. That is why we have a longing for God deep within our souls that can never be filled by just money or a job or family or friends or possession. As Augustine once said, you, God, have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Friends, if God is not at the centre of what we do, we will continue to be restless. And Jesus continues on by pointing to the modern manner. For just as the Israelites, when they crossed the desert, having come out of Egypt and on their way to the promised land, were fed every day with manna from heaven, so we need to feast on God's daily bread. Just as that manna was a gift of God, something that couldn't be earned, so the gift of eternal life is a gift of God that cannot be earned. Just as the manna came directly from heaven, so the gift of eternal life comes from heaven through the bread of life, Jesus. And just as the Israelites would not have survived without God's manna, so the Christian cannot survive without Jesus. But Jesus goes on and says that his bread is even better than the manna that we read for of in the book of Exodus. That manna only lasted one day. Jesus' modern manna lasts all the way to eternal life. What's more, that first manna had to be eaten every day. But the one who believes in Jesus only has to eat his bread once and he has eternal life. And with the first manna, there was no cost to God in sending it each day. But for Jesus' modern manna, the cost was a huge one, for it meant his son had to die as an object of scorn and abuse on a cross. Friends, God is offering the crowds modern manna, not just food for their bodies, but food for their souls. It's great for God to give us bread so that we can live this day. But how much greater is it that Jesus is offering us the bread of life? living today and for all eternity, life to the full, the meeting of our deepest needs. How do we get that? Jesus says we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Yuck! What does that mean? That we've got to become some sort of cannibal? No, for in the same way that we devour books, swallow stories, chew over a matter, eat our own words, we need to taste the bread that Jesus is offering us and swallow the blood of the new covenant. We need to ensure that what Jesus has done for us goes right to the core of our being and affects all our character traits and all of our behaviour. Now, Jesus doesn't mince his words here, and for some it leaves a bad taste in their mouths. I wonder if you can taste it yourself. We can't put all our hope on the physical, food for our tables, homes to keep us safe, clothes that make us look beautiful. That's not going to satisfy, really satisfy. We need a personal relationship with God. We need to take our plate and ask Jesus for an extra helping. We need to believe in him, feed on him, follow him. Is that what we're doing? Are we really making the most of God's word in our daily lives? Are we feasting on the wisdom he offers us today and every day? You see, the lessons have been taught by word and action. The challenge has now been placed fairly and squarely before the crowds and the disciples. So what will happen next? Well, many, many walk away from Jesus. Some say it's all too hard to understand. I don't want to think about it, so I'll go my own way. But others find it hard in another way, hard to accept. 
that Jesus is the only way to life, that the future is not about finding a king and getting what I want, but by making Jesus my king and doing what he wants. And yet, and yet the disciples stick around. They realise they don't understand how it all works out, but they do recognise that Jesus has the words of eternal life. They do understand that God is using this Jesus to provide for both their physical and spiritual needs, and they don't want to go anywhere. Instead, they want to stay close to Jesus. Now, when Mike Turner didn't turn up after his nine-day hike, his wife sent out a search party, including most of his church, crisscrossing the dangerous terrain, but they didn't find him alive. Twenty days later, they found his body and his final journal entry. Fill me with peace, Lord. May the conditions not deny my love for you. I'm ready to die, though missing my family. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I will trust in God, though he will slay me, yet I will trust him, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Backpacker magazine writes, after this journal entry, as his final hours approached, Turner's body shut down, but it was though his spirit was opening up. All the questions, all the doubts and anger seemed to dissolve. What remained was the unbreakable bedrock of belief. On the tenth day, Mike wrote, God loves, love dad, Mike. And then there was silence. Backpacker magazine writes, a boulder could crush his legs, but it could not crush his faith. For Mike had learnt the lessons that God was teaching him. If only we too would pass our next examination like he did. That life does not come through food, through work, through family, but through the bread of life, Jesus. And that bread and that person will sustain us in this life and even into the life to come. Because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's pray. Lord, having feasted on your word this morning, can we feast on Jesus himself and drink him up and swallow him down so he's in the very centre of our being and so he can now energise us and change us and enable us to become the people you want us to be. You are the bread of life and we want to eat this bread today and every day and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was so good to have you with us this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to get in contact with us, we would really love to hear from you. And you can do that through our website at charlestownpresbyterian.org.au. Well, I hope you have a great week ahead and a fantastic day today. I'm looking forward to your company next week. Until then, may God bless you and bye for now.